Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm really, really, really happy that you're here with us today. If you're listening live in real time, today's the first Wednesday in April, which is exciting because we're starting a new month. We also just had Easter this weekend, and man, I hope and pray that you were able to really just sit in awe and and marvel at what God did for us by sending Jesus to earth for us. And today's a great show. My friend Amy Wolf is back. Amy was on the show in December of 2018, and then she was also a special guest in a mini-series that we did in the fall called Faith and Politics. Amy was on the episode with Eugene Cho, if you're interested in learning more about that. And if you want to hear more of her personal story and how the movement started that we're going to talk about today in the show, go back and check out her other episode, number 224, from the first time that we chatted. I want to say congratulations to Amy because her first book, Signs of Hope, How Small Acts of Love Can Change Your World, it actually released into the world yesterday and releasing a book into the world is no small feat. And so congrats on that. I had a chance to read this book early. I highly recommend it. Great, great book to really be encouraged about hope. Today, we talk about just that, about how do we be a people who are full of hope? How do we be hope for people when they don't think they can be it themselves? We talk about how having hope is hard and it's risky. We also talk about some ways that we can actually really mean you matter when we say to someone, even if they're different than us, even if they hold different beliefs than us, we can still say you matter. You guys are going to want to lean in close to this episode. It's full of incredible conversation. Amy is such an encouragement to us. And if you are working in the corporate space or if you are working in a job that does not revolve around ministry. She has a word at the very beginning of encouragement to you that you do not want to miss. I want to tell you two things before we get started. Number one, Amy has graciously given away two copies of her book, Signs of Hope. Guys, I want to tell you two things before we get started. The first is Amy has graciously said we can give away some of her books. So we're going to give away one over on my Instagram page and we're going to give one over on Facebook. And so wherever you hang out the most, we've got you covered. We're going to give you a book plus some bracelets to go along with it. All you'll have to do is just tag some friends, tell them about the show. If you loved it, go ahead and tell them that you loved it as well and why they should listen. So we're going to give those away. Go check out that at Jamie Ivy over on both of those channels. Go check out my YouTube page today because I asked Amy, how is her 2020 manifesto holding up in 2021? We talk about that over at youtube.com slash Jamie Ivy. Go check that out. You're going to be encouraged by that as well. All right, guys, here is my conversation with my friend, Amy Wolf. Amy, welcome back to the happy hour. I am so excited to be back. This is so fun. Okay, I want to tell everyone that you've been here before because I think it's fun if people, if they're just hearing you for the first time, they're like, oh my gosh, I love this Amy Wolf girl, which you will. (laughs) I'll just tell you right now. You were on in December of 2018. That was episode 224 and today's episode 379. So it's been a while. And then you joined us in the fall of October 2020 where we did a special series called Faith in Politics and you were on the episode with Eugene Cho and it was just... A lovely, lovely conversation, and you shared your 2020 manifesto, which if you have not heard that, I'm just going to say, just pause this episode right now and go back and listen Mm -hmm. to it because it's still valid. So welcome back to the happy hour. Thank you. I think we'll talk about that manifesto at the very end 
if you end this interview the way you always do, I think we'll get a chance to talk about practically what that looks like for me right now. Uh, Those commitments I made to stepping up in 2020, listening well, deepening my love for others, having hard conversations. So I think it will come out in our conversation today. More of that. It's so good, Amy. And just behind the scenes, you and I have had so many text conversations in the last (laughs) year, so many like voice text conversations in the last year. And so I want to say I'm just so excited and I'm so proud of you because yesterday, just yesterday, your book entered into the world, Signs of Hope, How Small Acts of Love Can Change Your World. And I have read this book. I got an early copy and read it and was actually honored to endorse it. And so congratulations, Amy. You did it. The book is out. It feels like a two-year pregnancy, which is what it was. (laughs) And you know, when, for those of you who had kiddos, you worry about the birth so much, and then you get so big that at one point you're just like, screw it. I just need this baby out (laughs) and you don't care Uh how much it hurts. (laughs) Right, right. And it has been a beautiful process of writing the book. It was a book I didn't intend to write. I was asked to write it by a stranger in New York who sent me an email. That's a crazy story. Uh, You can read about it in the book, I think. But I actually have a whole nother manuscript written for my day job. And this book fell into my lap with this accidental nonprofit I started. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we're gonna jump into the nonprofit. And you talk about that in your last episode with the movement that you guys started with your signs. But you mentioned your day job and you have another book for that, which I did not know that. And when we're done, you just go ahead and send me a voice text memo and let me know what you're doing. But your day job is Tell us about it and and what does that look like even, oh my gosh, Amy, with 2020, I know that had to have affected your job because I know what you do. It did. I am a speaker coach. I get hired by big corporations or small companies to help prepare their C-suite executive level employees, how to deliver a keynote or a presentation, but then also working with sales teams on their sales pitch or working with anyone within an organization that feels like they want to become a more confident presenter, facilitator, speaker. And that takes me around the country coaching. And that came to a screeching halt as I know your speaking Mm -hmm. tour did too. And so we had to pivot completely to virtual coaching, which we refused to do before 2020. (laughs) That was a learning curve. Yeah, And then we're heading into some more change this year as my father sets to retire and he's handing the business over to me. And I legally became majority owner of our small business and president of our company. (gasps) president. I know my dad cried when he gave me the share certificates. It was so sweet. It's, it feels like a legacy business, but it has been a crazy couple of years and it'll be a year of transition this year as well. Luckily we made it out of COVID. Okay. With Mm -hmm. a profit, but I do, Jamie, I've been thinking about this secular work I do. And I think I have a word of encouragement for your listeners. I'm ready for it. What is it? Okay. Sometimes I listen to these podcasts and I am really moved by people who are in ministry and write books and do podcasts and are faith leaders. And I come from this very corporate world where I'm in secular spaces and there's a break room and there's meetings all day long and it's sales and operations and pipelines and RFPs. And I have this just burning desire to tell your listeners, for those of you who are also in secular spaces like me, where you're showing up to your shift work, you're logging into that seventh Zoom call of the day, you're heading into the break room, you're sitting at your cubicle. I have a word for you. And the word is so clear. It's do not diminish your kingdom work. Mm. 
And here's what I mean by that. Okay, so I've been reading through the Bible again this last year, which has been so beautiful. But the history of our faith is that there were only certain kinds of people that could approach God in his temple, right? So in the Mm -hmm. Old Testament, you get God with these very specific rules of setting up this temple and the Holy of Holies. And this is where the spirit of God dwells. And only certain people had access into the Holy of Holies. Well, then Jesus came and in his last breath, when he died, the curtain ripped in the temple where suddenly the presence of God was no longer behind a curtain for only a set sacred few, but that God's presence is approachable for all of us. And later Paul says that our bodies are the temple now, Mm -hmm. that there is no one physical dwelling. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God is in us. And I just felt this clear picture for those of you who are feeling, what is the purpose of my job? Am I doing enough for God? What does ministry look like in my life when I show up to my shift? I just want to say, you bring the spirit of the living God with you into your workspaces. And that is kingdom work. And dare I say, and you and I both heard a speaker recently say, we need to go and find right? We need to get, Mm. we need Christians. We need to get outside of our Christian circles. And so many of you, that's your workplace. And I just want to encourage you today. Do not diminish your kingdom work. You are doing good work out there in the world and God is using you. I love that so much, Amy. And so many times I do hear people say, what do I have to offer? Like, what am I doing? Like, how does this matter? And I am such a champion like you are to say that like, wherever God has put you, Like wherever he has placed you, like you have the opportunity to do kingdom work right there. I mean, what else would we be doing? It's like we can't compartmentalize our, okay, I'm a Christian on Sundays and then on Monday I just work at my job. Like, you know what I mean? But but so many times that person might feel, I don't matter as much because I'm not in quote unquote ministry. Yeah. Well, and we're with awkward coworkers and reclusive colleagues and, you know, at the water cooler, they're talking about (laughs) who they hooked up with over the weekend. Like when you get in the world, you're going to get dirt, like it's dirty. Yeah. Unless we forget, we have our own dirt. I think I shared this with you in that conversation in December, 2018, that God told me I need to hate my sin more than anyone else's. And I'll do just fine getting into dirty places, being Mm. in messy places, having awkward conversations. As long as I'm not judging other sin to be worse than mine. If I keep a repentant heart, I need to go into dark places. I need to go there. And I need to get some thick skin as long as I have my heart postured towards God and and am equipped with the Holy Spirit. It's so good. I remember that conversation about you saying, I want to hate my sin more than anyone else's. And that's convicting because so often we can just look at other people's sin and hate their sin a whole lot. And yeah, that's way gross. That's yeah, that's (laughs) it's easier too. And it makes us feel better. And we won't go there because you should listen to it. We had a great conversation about it. But it makes me want to ask you some questions about your book. Okay, so this is your space that you live in, this corporate world where you are, you know, president. I need to say that again, president (laughs) of your company. Congratulations again. You're living a different life. And yet, you know, we know about this organization that you started. And I just have to say one of the things you talk about, and you know what, how about before that we do this, we did this in the last episode, but just give people give a big overview of what we're talking Mm -hmm. about here. And then we're going to dive in. Yeah. I was at church small group. We've been meeting for seven years, the same groups and families and some ladies. And one of them is a teacher in the school district. And in May, 2017, we're sitting around and he said, you would not believe the suicide rates in our town. And I was blown over. I felt so, it felt so heavy. And even though the conversation continued, my gut was stuck. What do I do? 
And this idea of kind yard signs was in the back of my mind for years. And I thought it was the stupidest, most random idea, but I was desperate to put my compassion into action. And I told my husband, we're going to print these 20 yard signs that say, do not give up. Your mistakes don't define you. You are worthy of love. And we're going to anonymously stake them around town. No website, no hashtag, white signs, bold words. That's it. And it became a huge global movement. We were in all 50 states and over 26 countries within 18 months selling affordable at cost products that say these hopeful words on them. And they were having a profound impact on people's lives. It's crazy. And I remember when you told me about that, I just thought like just plain signs, Amy, like I know. (laughs) And then I thought like, surely you need your logo on them so that people can find you. I mean, come on, Amy, this is not good marketing. It's terrible marketing. It's terrible marketing. And yet, and yet there is an article about a dad in Seattle who put out our signs. It caught media attention. It caught national media attention and went viral. I tell this story in the book. I was on vacation late at night in the condo and I get a frantic text from a friend. We cannot fulfill orders fast enough. And I thought, wait, what is happening? Log into my email. Good morning. America is reaching out. Washington Post wants to do an article. And that's with zero branding. Like this is people having to find our story. Yeah, it's a crazy story about the power of hope and love and why it goes viral. It's so simple, almost so cliche. Mm. I'm almost embarrassed how cliche it is. (laughs) And yet the hundreds of stories of people encountering hope at the right place at the right Mm. time. It's just a beautiful, beautiful display of the goodness of humanity and the power of hope. It's so crazy and it's so amazing. And you are on Instagram, Don't Give Up Signs, and we'll put that in the show notes so you can go find it. So that leads us to this book, uh, Signs of Hope, How Small Acts of Love Can Change Your World. And I said when I started that I I read this book and it is full of stories. I mean, it's full of story after story after story of how people's lives have really been changed just from like the smallest act of hope and love and changing them. And in chapter four, you write about diminishing others' suffering. And I think I've seen that a lot in the past year, Amy, and I think you have as well, as people feeling as though maybe, I know I'm in a hard spot, but it's not as hard as like, you know, my neighbor, Jane, and so maybe I shouldn't feel bad about it and and I don't know what to do with it. But you tell Mm -hmm. a story about you had dealt with this when you were in Rwanda, you know? And if you know anything about Rwanda, you know, in 94, massive genocide where, you know, millions of people were murdered in about 90 days and you're there. Can you talk us through, like, how did you learn that we can't diminish our suffering with each other? Yeah, it was a day into my memory. There's a small town called Rugalika. I've been there multiple times now. I lead a team about every other year to Rwanda in the next, I'm so excited. Our girls got passports and my young daughters are coming with us next time. Oh, yay. But I was was in Rugalika once and they have a community group of genocide survivors who some were orphans and now young adults. They get together to tell each other their stories, essentially to show them their heart wounds and to also have economic projects together to create livelihood. So a sustainable income to keep them from poverty. So I'm sitting here where our group comes, they give us these seats of honor, which is really uncomfortable, and they share their stories. And through a translator, we hear a atrocity the ugliest evil of their families being killed in front of them and the torture. And I am dumbfounded 
that were even sitting in their presence and that as strangers, they would tell us their deepest wounds. And I have a friend there. His name is Ben Kayumba. He, I call him brother, but he's my parents' age. And he is a survivor himself. And he facilitates these community groups around the country. And I asked Ben, why are they so willing to tell us their painful stories? And he says, because you're not coming as strangers or visitors, you're coming as my friends. Mm -hmm. And so they trust you. But this really uncomfortable thing happens. And it's happened every time. So I know it's coming after they're done sharing and we dance and we sing and we do awkward dances and I move my arms in weird ways. And then they share. And then Ben turns to our team and always says, okay, which one of you want to share? Mm. And this is when, I mean, nothing, no one, we have nothing to say, Ben. Like there is nothing that we can say in light of these people's suffering. It's hard to fathom. It makes me sick to my stomach. I have nothing to add. I have nothing to give. And he knows that there's doubt. So he's patient and he just waits until someone Mm -hmm. feels courageous to say something. And I remember this last year, I went in the fall of 2019 and I stood up and I said, I am waiting for heaven too, to be reminded, to be reunited with my brother who I witnessed die in front of me when I was 14. And it's not that we share the same pain. It's not that I went through a genocide. It's not that I experienced the amount of evil they did, but I know God has brought me peace. I know the God of peace. I know the God of comfort and I will weep with you. And it's really interesting, Jamie, they're a really non-emotive culture in general. And yet when I tell my story, they are wiping with their palms, tears Mm. from their cheeks and men are taking their suit jackets and wiping their face because they were willing to weep with me. They weren't comparing. Mm. They didn't see me as trying to equalize our suffering. They heard me showing my own wounds, not in comparison, but in solidarity. This life is messy. We're in this together. We will pursue God together. And that's when Ben told me, you have a ministry of presence. Mm. We have a ministry of presence. We do not need to diminish our own suffering in light of other people's. This is not a comparison game. Pain is pain. Mm. And when, if we're willing to show up, sit in each other's pain, hold space for it, instead of trying to hurry through it or plaster these trust in God and God's timing, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. If we just shut those up mm-hmm. and just sit, sit in each other's pain, willing to show each other our scars, this beautiful moment of solidarity happens where we're not comparing. Mm. We're being the ministry of presence. Yeah, it's what Job's friends did with him. You know, right. you read the story of Job and they're willing to sit for seven days after Job experiences the worst of the worst. His body has failing, his children has died, his livelihood is gone, mm. and his friends come and sit with him. Do you know how uncomfortable it would be to sit for seven days? <laughs> then once his friends open their mouths, they get in a ton of trouble with God because they mm. are saying true things wrongly applied. To Job's situation. And that's a word for us, but that's a whole right, other conversation. Right, a whole, but I do think, why is it so often? Well, I mean, we talked about like comparing our suffering. And so like, I don't know that I have anything to offer Amy. Like this is, would be me coming to you, Jamie coming to Amy. I don't know that I have anything to offer Amy because I've never lost a brother or, you know, I've never been yeah. through something like that, but yet I do have suffering in my life and it's just different. What is it that makes us think we need to compare them? Is it just our human nature? I do think we actually teach this to our kids really early when we're like, 
eat all your food. Some kids don't have food. Oh, yeah, you know? right. Yeah, but that's the best. We actually do the comparison thing a lot. Mm. And even, you know, you're not grateful if you don't like this thing other people don't have, you know? And so I don't know. I think uh. it comes out early. And I think those messages get instilled in us that we constantly have to compare how good we should feel based mm. on other people not having what we have or how bad we should feel by other people having more than us. Yeah. I think it's a crazy, crazy game and we'll never measure up. We'll always look down or always look up. And instead, I think there's this alternative where we're not comparing. And I think there's, you know, I think pain is intimidating. So I think we try to diminish ours when we're in the presence of what feels heavier or worse. Mm, Yeah. And yet, I think that we can sit with each other no matter how we evaluate each other's experiences. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You know, I said that's happened for a lot of people in 2020 of having to kind of, you know, mine is not as bad as hers, but hers is not as bad as his and all those type of things. What does it look like for you and your community? I think you're still in that small group. Am I right? I am. We're meeting tonight. It's our second time in person in over a year. So yeah, we're excited. Oh, yay. But what does it look like for you guys, like practically and realistically? Mm. You know, you talk about this ministry of presence and using our words to encourage when needed, but then shut up when needed as well. Practically, what does that look like playing out for you guys, you and your husband and your group that you've been meeting for years and years and years? Yeah. It means a few things. It means the one of the couples in our group got divorced and it was mm. awful. Yeah. And it means I drop off flowers at my friend's doorstep on Valentine's Day when she might be feeling the most lonely. It means that we have a text chain of our friends. Hey, are you going to plant flowers in her flower pot <laughs> and bring some color in life in these hard seasons? And we showed up that way. It means this summer, one of 
our group members was a single mom to a 17-year-old son or 16-year-old son who died in a plane accident in Idaho while he was on vacation with his father. And now her world is upside down. She is all alone. She has nothing. She feels like she has nothing. And it means we went to her house every week, not to preach, not with Bible verses, not with wordy prayers, but just sit with her in her backyard, six feet apart. (laughs) But we showed up unafraid of her pain every week. It means I text her if I haven't heard from her while I want to go on a walk, want to go to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard. It means on Valentine's Day, I bring her flowers. It means I go to her son's gravesite and write in the journal that's up at his gravesite. And hey, we remember, we remember Hayden. So it has looked a lot of different ways for our group, but a lot of it is just showing up. It's those small acts that this entire journey that you've been on, I mean, I mean, it started with these small acts of the signs, you know, this small act of kindness of you can do hard things and don't give up and you matter. And you have story after story of how people are just, you know, I use air quotes, randomly seeing these signs and it's changing their lives. And I want to hear some of those stories, but it makes me pause and think about all of those small acts that you just mentioned. They're so stinking easy. Everything you just we said. We overcomplicate things, don't so we? so easy. I'm like, buy flowers. That's the easiest thing you could do today. Yeah. Well, and here, I love being super practical. I really actually hate cliche. I really <laughs> actually hate small acts of love can change your world byline. Like really, what kind of subtitle is that? But <laughs> it's true though, Amy, it's true. <laughs> I know, Jamie, but I cannot deny the things I have sat front row to over the mm. last four years of this movement that mattered to people. And so we can't diminish those small things. And in the book, there's a whole chapter about other people and what kind of things they've done that had a big impact on one person. Maybe mm. it didn't go global. Maybe it didn't be yeah. a movement. Maybe there's no national media, but it mattered. And so this idea of putting anniversaries in your calendar. Yeah. So you have a friend whose child passed away who never got to the due date mm-hmm. with their baby and miscarried. Or or maybe it's a sobriety anniversary. It's a celebratory date on the calendar. Why aren't we putting those in our phones? Why aren't we saying 12 years later, I remember. Yeah. I remember your son. I remember your sobriety and I'm just cheering you Mm -hmm. on. And so that's such an easy thing. It's such Mm. an easy thing. And I can't tell you on August 9th, every year, the power of my friends texting me, they remember Jeremy. It's so simple and it's so profound. If we would just look up from our daily grind, if we would look up from our news feeds, if we'd start not diminishing these little things, but start to notice and be intentional, I think we can have a really huge impact. Dare I say, change the world in our corner of it. I agree. I really do agree. Because if you've ever been on the receiving end of those texts or those remembrances or someone holding out hope for you when you you couldn't muster it up, you know the impact of that. You know, you talk about that in one of your chapters about how sometimes it is somebody else saying, okay, you don't feel hope in the situation right now. I'm going to hold it for you. Yeah. Can you talk about that? You have a personal story in here as well, but can you talk about what that looks like? Yeah. It's really interesting, Jamie. I don't know if you remember this, but in your questionnaire before you interview, one of the questions you ask your guests is what's off limits. Mm-hmm. And last time I was on in December of 2018, I told you my marriage is off limits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we were not going to talk about it. Right. It's our story, not my story. It actually, it goes back to the, 
video series that you launched about your story matters. And how do we tell our stories without jeopardizing the privacy of other people? Right. And that's the spot I was in, in this book, Jake has given, my husband has given me full permission to tell our story. It's very brave of him because he's a very private person, but he told me he will practice vulnerability and not let shame win. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that. So the story that I share in the book is Jake and I have been married 15 years. We met in high school, but we were not sweethearts. We were on and off and on and off. Really dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Very high school-esque, right? Oh gosh, so bad. So, so bad. I broke up with him before I went to private Christian college because that's where I was going to meet my husband. Yes. And we've been married over 15 years. Everyone has been pretty hard. In fact, this last year has been the easiest, which Mm. I know sounds so crazy. I know it's not everyone's story, but we hit some really, really hard years where our just our mess got messier and messier in this big ball of yarn where you can't pull it apart. It felt helpless. And it got to a point we had separated before we had gone to counseling. I had moved out when Avery was a newborn, but there was a moment when I called my mom, I'm done. I tried for so many years. I have nothing left. I just need to know that you'll support me if we get a divorce. And we had never used the D word before. Right. So this was like a big deal. And my mom said, I love you, but that's the wrong decision. And I hung up on my mom, (laughs) which (laughs) I had never uh, done. (laughs) Of course, as very adult of you. Yes. I know. I hung up on her, but I needed her so bad. And she didn't get mad at me for the way I hurt her while I was hurting. You know, hurt people Mm -hmm. hurt people. Right. And she did not hold it against me that I hurt her when I was the most hurt. Instead, she told me this a little while later, Amy, I know you do not have strength to grip hope for your marriage. You can't see it. You don't have the strength to hold on to it. And I told her, it's not even that I wish I had the strength. Hoping hurts. Mm. Some of us listening, hoping means it hurts. It means I want the healed marriage, but what if I don't get it? Yeah. Hoping means I feel like I can beat this cancer. And then what if I don't, right? Like hoping is freaking scary. Yep. And we'd also rather not hope, kind of just self-protect. Yes. I'm not going to hope just in case. Yeah. That's exactly where I was. It was too painful to hope. And my mom said, in this place of where you are, I am going to take hope and I'm going to hold it for you. I believe in you and Jake. And I know that you can't see it right now and you're too weak and I get it. So I'm going to hold it for you. And that was such a beautiful illustration. Sometimes we just, we can't hold on to the hope ourselves. We need to go find someone who will hold it for us. And dare I say, maybe even it's not that we have the strength to ask someone, but that we do life with other people and doing that life. I say, I'll hold hope for you, Jamie. I know that you don't have the strength to do it right now. I believe in that situation. I believe in your agency that you can overcome this and I will hold on to it until until you are stronger to hold it yourself. Mm. Does your mom read this? I'm sure she has read this chapter. <laughs> She's like, I'm book. not going to read it. She said, I'm not going to read your book until launch date. And then I had my first version that they send the author still with some mm-hmm. typos in it. And it was sitting on the counter and she texts me. I read it in one day. <laughs> I couldn't wait. <laughs> sweet mom, sweet mom. But you know, it's so true. I'm sitting here as you're talking, recounting seasons in my own life of mm. it just feels too risky. You know, you say that in the book, you say hope is risky. It is. You know, yeah. you, this is your words, not mine. Expectations, weariness and fear, they complicate things. And it's so true because especially for someone mm-hmm. like me, I, I like to have control over my life 
and things and circumstances. And, and we all know that it's false. You can't, but hoping it interferes with my control at sometimes. And so having someone that knows you well enough and loves you well enough, and also someone who was willing to endure the riskiness, you know, I mean, yeah. I know that that hope that your mom had for you, like, Obviously, it's your mom, so she loves you, but it's not her marriage, you know, but she was willing to say, I'm going to come into something that's not even mine, and I'm going to hope for it. That is so beautiful, and I'm thinking right now, like, I want to be that for people. Mm. I want to be that for people, even if it's hard and even if they don't know they need it. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep our eyes and hearts open to each other so that we can offer that to each other. Another thing that Amy, you know, adored in this book was just about really walking through people that are different than us, maybe even more difficult than us. I was about to say difficult and I slipped, but I think that might be true as well (laughs) about how do we actually mean when we're doing this? Like it's one thing to be like, all right, everyone, you got this. You can do hard things. You matter. But when push comes to shove, what about with people that we don't think alike? And you talked about a woman named Missy on my show last time you were here. Yeah. And I got so much great feedback from just your conversation with her and your relationship with her. And in your book, you talk about five ways to get over love bias. And I am assuming that you've had to walk through this with your friend Missy. And so can we walk through these five ways Uh, to get over love bias? And can you walk me through this? Yeah. Real quick, here's some context. (laughs) I put you matter signs in my grass and I realized I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it for people who voted differently than me. I didn't mean it who spoke different words than I speak, believe different things. And I was really, really convicted. You matter to the people that are like you. Like me. Absolutely. Well, that's easy, right? (laughs) God, and I'll spare repeating because I told you the moment God told me enough. And Mm. that was in our previous conversation. And so that... If I could write a whole book, which I don't know if another one's in me, but if it is, it's chapter seven in a whole book. It is evangelism. Mm. It is getting outside our Christian circles. It is so important. It is so important and it'll be so humbling. So yes, let's talk about it. Maybe that's why it was my favorite because I loved this chapter so much because it was convicting to me, you know, and convicting and encouraging. So you talk about five ways to get over love bias. The first one you say is to recognize the difference between empathy and endorsement. What do you mean here? Yeah. I was living in the myth that in order to love people well, or to feel for them, that it required me agreeing with them. Mm. And that is a lie. And it's a lie that keeps us separate. But if I can empathize with someone, for example, Missy Bird, my unlikely friend that we've Mm -hmm. talked about that you hear more about in this chapter. She is bisexual, has been married to men and women. She worked at Planned Parenthood, is definitely pro-choice. And her and I have a lot of disagreements. We have found actually more similarities than differences, I think, through the evolution of our friendship. But I recognize if I sit with her and she tells me about being Mm pro-choice and she tells me about the women she's met and the decisions they've had to make and why, or the decisions they chose and why, Mm -hmm. I can sit there and go, that would be hard. Mm. I would feel stuck. That would feel like a solution even though I don't endorse abortion, right? Empathy says I can get why they feel that way. Mm. And it doesn't mean I have to agree. I can even say to them, I am so sorry. That is so scary. Mm. Period. 
And I don't have to then explain why, but I can't endorse your, like we can just put the period there. We don't have to agree. That is not a prerequisite to love. And if we really got that, I mean, that's one thing to say it, Janie, but to Mm -hmm. mean it in the depths of our soul and to practice it, that is radical. It is so radical and it is so needed, especially in the culture that we live in right now. I've experienced this a little bit just recently with talking about what's happening at our border with unaccompanied minors coming over. And I'm not a politician and I am not talking about any, although I believe policies are very important and matter. That's not what I'm doing, but I'm talking about how do we have empathy for these children who've come over the border, period. 100%. Period. Period. And it's really hard for people because they feel like, oh, but I need to tell you that I don't think that's right, or here's what's wrong, or blah, 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 fill in the blank. I know. And I am so with you on this, Amy. This is what I think, and I think you agree with me. I think a world looking for hope, they need to see the period. Yeah. They need to see, I'm sorry about that. That must have been a hard choice. You know where I learned to put the period, which I should have wrote that in the book. That is flipping good. But Uh (laughs) where, (laughs) where I felt that is when the protests started happening last year with all the deaths of Mm -hmm. black bodies that we are seeing. And I, in my position, want to say black lives matter. And I believe Mm -hmm. that not all cops are bad. Right. And I had to learn a really painful lesson that black lives matter, period. Mm -hmm. And that period really, really, really mattered. And then a month later, I remember, hey, for those of you in uniform who are listening, doing good work, committed to serve everyone, I see you too. But it had to be in a different breath Mm. because it's like saying to my daughter, Avery, I love you, but I also love Harper. Right. (laughs) Avery, I love you, but I also love Harper. It's like, Uh you know, that period matters. Yeah. Where Avery, I love you. Period. Yeah. And Harper, I love you. Yes. In different breath. Right. And then you're going to get people going, "Uh uh-oh, no, no. But what about Harper? Well, Mm -hmm. hold your horses. I'm getting there. (laughs) It's there too. But we're so quick to evaluate each other Mm -hmm. and jump on each other. Oh, 100%. Okay, number two, get in proximity. You have this in your book, and Brene Brown says it's hard to hate people up close. So true, so true. So get in proximity. How has this changed for you? Yeah, it happened with my friends of color. I didn't understand the Black Lives Matter movement. I felt kind of defensive about it. I remember dialoguing in 2016, someone talked about my white privilege, and I said, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. I do not. I don't see color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Fast forward a couple years later, I'm sitting here, God, I repent. I have biases and I'm a nice person and I still have racist thoughts, mm. right? And so I recognize the privilege I have of just the color of my skin. I recognize what that affords me, whether I want it or not, it's in the systems and I see it, right? So now I'm in completely a different place. And so a quick word, if you are in community with others and you're frustrated for whatever reason that maybe someone's not seeing or getting something, be patient. Mm. It took me a few years, but God softened my heart and opened my eyes. So let's be patient with each other. But what the difference was, Jamie, is that I got with a person who was of color. Mm. We sat down and we had dinner and I got face to face. And I listened Mm -hmm. and you know what? I don't know if it was my place, but I asked questions and challenged and she was up for it. And she challenged my challenging and proximity. I got up close in the same with gender fluidity, really uncomfortable conversation. Uh, What does that mean? Terms are constantly changing. And I sit down with Patrick and Patrick tells me about gender fluidity and tells me why 
they feel feminine and masculine and suddenly sitting in proximity with someone, Mm. it's not so scary and ewy and gooey and gross. And I don't get it. And them and the others. And no, it's Patrick. It's Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. So proximity changes things. And if you are not in proximity to people who confuse you, bad news, it's going to be really uncomfortable to go and get in proximity. But I think God requires of it. I think Jesus's strategy was proximity. Right. Okay, recognize the difference between empathy and endorsement, get in proximity, and then that leads us to the next one, which just follows beautifully here. Choose grace. Oh, yeah, we're not going to do it right. We're going to say the wrong things. I think often we avoid messy conversations because we're afraid of saying the wrong thing. I know for the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't know if I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm going to use the wrong pronoun and slip up and forget when I'm talking about the people Mm. I've met who are gender fluid. And I think we just have to have grace for each other. also hurt people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we need grace. And when people lash out, because they are mad, they are angry and it might be righteous anger, right? Anger isn't always bad. I actually talk about that in the hope continuum. Anger has a place, but I think we need to be gracious. This person is hurt. Mm. They're angry. They finally have a voice. It's finally being heard. Be gracious if they're not doing it right. Be gracious with yourself when you don't do it right. Totally true. Okay. The fourth way to truly mean you matter is to embrace nuance. We are not one thing. (laughs) We talked about that a lot, I think, in our faith and politics episode too. So what do you mean by that when you say embrace nuance? Yeah. Embrace nuance. It means two things that seemingly are opposed can actually coexist. So I, for example, I can be a gun owner and think that it is rational for more laws around guns Mm -hmm. or I am a pro-life feminist Mm -hmm. and we can be two things. In fact, I was reading Matthew this morning and I thought, Jesus is nuance (laughs) because in chapter 10 of Matthew, Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then you flip a page and in chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Nuance, Mm -hmm. two things. God is mighty and scary and terrifying and to be reverent. And he's merciful Mm. and tender and gracious and compassionate, right? These are two things seemingly opposed that can coexist, but it's messy because it's it's not black and white. So we need to afford each other, give permission to each other that I do not fit into the boxes you want me to. Maybe it's how I vote. Maybe it's even my faith. I don't know, but we need to be able to extend each other freedom to have nuance in our belief systems. We are complex people and I'm a recovering black and white thinker. So I am way more comfortable with those two things. Can't They cannot go together. Yeah. That's right. Okay. The last one is think differently. What do you mean by think differently to help us actually mean you matter? Yeah. I think we get stuck in negative thought patterns. And it's section I talk about cognitive behavioral therapy, something I've not personally experienced, but it's identifying thought patterns that start to create uh, these stigmas that help us understand the world schemas to help Mm -hmm. us understand the world around us. And so things like mind reading, assuming that what people think, despite not having concrete evidence. So Missy thinks I hate women because I'm pro-life. Right. Well, that's mind reading. Yeah. Maybe Missy doesn't think that or catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. If things are hard now in my marriage, they'll always be hard. Right. Or labeling. They're just liberal snowflakes. (laughs) And so we do these list of these 
distortions in the book and also in research. And I just found, oh my gosh, this is why we have a hard time loving people saying you matter to people who are different from us Mm. because we get stuck in blaming and negative filtering and discounting positives and overgeneralizing. And if we could just see it for what it is, then maybe we can turn the corner. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And I loved that chapter so much. And I think you should write that whole book about that chapter, maybe. But I liked it so much because it is, it's so many things that we're dealing with right now, especially the nuance. All of them, Amy, are so good. Amy, I loved hearing the update on what you're doing. Okay, so I need to know, I need to know, what are you reading and what are you loving these days? Yes, I am loving a few things. We just bought a new house in quarantine. It has been a silver lining for us. And we have been remodeling, which means decorating. And I love home styling. And so I found a local company in Portland, Oregon, here in my neck of the woods. It's called Seek and Swoon. Okay. And they take fabric scraps from the apparel industry, which is notorious for waste. And they make these beautiful blankets that are global style inspired and they're gorgeous. And I just bought two of them for our house. Oh, I love that. Okay. Second swim. Love it. Second thing I'm loving. Have you ever eaten Funyuns? Yes. I mean, like, (laughs) I think so. (laughs) They're circles. They're circles. They're Uh crunchy and yellow. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I have not eaten them in years. We just went to Costco last weekend, our big bulk store, and we bought a huge bag. And let me tell you, loving some of them. That is hilarious. Do they, it's all the same flavor or do they have like, okay, got it. I don't think they've evolved their business in a decade. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) What is the other thing I'm loving? Oh, I told you I've been reading through the Bible this year and it has been so good hard. I am reading it without study notes. I'm reading it in chunks at a time and it is more alive and confusing and beautiful, nuanced and and revealing. It has been a remarkable journey between me and God every day. And what is helpful is after I finish reading a book, I go over to the Bible project. I love the Bible project. uh, And I watch their video on that book of the Bible to see if I missed anything. Were there major themes and I just didn't get it? What was the context, right? And so I'm reading the scripture in chunks and seeing what the Holy Spirit brings out, but I'm not reading it for application. Mm -hmm. I'm not reading what's in it for me. What's applicable to my life? What am I making analogies for my life out of this scripture? No, I just want God. I just want to know about him. And so I'm reading just to know about him. And it's made such a difference. But then I have this Bible project to make me sure, make me make sure I'm not going left field on anything in my doctrine. I love it so much. I'm doing uh, chronological through the New Testament this year and on the G version, the U version app. Oh, yeah. And when you start and finish a book, they have those videos in there for you. And I love them so much from the Bible project. They're so sound, they're Mm -hmm. so solid. They're visually beautiful. You can actually buy posters of each of the videos. If you guys have seen it, you can buy the collection of the posters. They're so rad. I actually recently, I had a spot in my wall that needed a picture still as we're putting our house back together. And I got this huge poster online of ancient Israel and the 12 tribes. And I could see where Assyria and Babylon and Egypt and all the different tribes, the Southern kingdom, the Northern kingdom, and it was so helpful. Oh my gosh. I'm going immediately. We're done to look at these. Yeah. And I found one that's really like cool looking. So it's art, but it's 
really, really helpful when you read the Bible. <laughs> oh, I love it yeah. so very much. So those so very are some much. things I'm loving. And what are you reading? Well, I am reading All the Real Indians Died Off and 20 Other Myths About Native Americans. I also bought a book about witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And my husband was like, what's this Amazon order about? <laughs> my friend Missy. I said, Missy, we've been in friendship for years. I've never pushed anything on you. She's seeking God. We've read the Bible together. She has an active faith. And yes, still practices witchcraft. She's not Wiccan, mm-hmm. which I told her, this is still very confusing to me. And friend, I love you. But at some point you're going to have to see that these are not both. And you cannot right. practice witchcraft. <laughs> there is no nuance here because God is very clear yeah. about that. And she said, buy this book. It will help you understand what witchcraft means to me. What does this look like in my life? Because spells are really just prayers. I'm mm. like, well, hold the phone. <laughs> so I bought this book and I bought it to learn I'm going to pray through it that God would help me see what other people believe so that I can be more informed in having friendships with these people. Mm. So I'm reading that. I'm also finishing a Martin Luther King Jr.'s collection of sermons called The Strength to Love. I've never read it. I feel silly that I haven't. It's been so powerful. You were reading some good stuff, Amy Wolf. I love All it over the board. so very much. Witchcraft, I love it. Native yes. Americans and Bible. <laughs> I love it so much. Well, Amy, thanks for coming on the show again. You guys, her book, Signs of Hope, it came out yesterday and I've read it. I love it. I love the stories. It is encouraging. I say in here that it's encouraging you. If you're looking for hope, you're going to find it. And if you could be a giver of hope, you're going to realize that you can do it in smaller ways than you even thought. Like you can give away hope easier than you thought. So Amy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Jamie. I really hope this book is a tool for listeners. The book is written not for just a faith-based audience. Mm -hmm. I think some of you might be surprised that I write a book about hope now that you've heard my faith journey and how much the Lord means to me. And yet this book hardly speaks of him and it's a book of hope, but it's written to anyone, to anywhere, just like our movement. It's not faith-based. And I explain that in the book, but I hope that you use it as a tool. It talks about faith in certain places, and I hope it opens the door for you to have conversations with people who are different from you, perhaps aren't in our faith community. Buy them the book. Ask them. There's questions at the end of each chapter. Maybe you choose to talk through it with them and get into dialogue about these bigger, deeper things, and it opens the door. I hope that God uses this book between you and the people you're doing life with. I love that. And I told you that when I read it is I know your faith and it's not throughout this entire book, but I was like, this book is going to change lives. And so Mm. I'm grateful for you. Amy, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Love you, Janie. All right, guys, I know you love that conversation and I love any time I get with Amy because she really helps me really remember about the nuance. She helps me remember about how important it is to actually embrace people and have empathy, even if you don't endorse what they're saying. I am so encouraged by her. You guys, in the conversation, she mentioned my Bible study, Your Story Matters. If that's something that you're interested in going through, it's super easy. You can do it alone. You could grab some girlfriends. Go to jamieivy.com slash yourstorymatters and you can find that there. Also, don't forget, we're giving away a copy of her books. We're going to give away a copy on my Instagram page, and we're going to give away a copy on my Facebook page. So go check both of those out, and we're going to give you a copy of the book plus some bracelets to go along with it. And lastly, don't forget the YouTube channel. Go check it out because there are conversations over there that you cannot hear here. Go to youtube.com slash Jamie Ivey. Make sure you're subscribed so you get all of the conversations straight to you when you show up there. And if you have not seen season one of The Jamie Ivey Show, It's a great time to catch up. Today's show is edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper. 
Music is created for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing is put together and organized and made possible by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie Ivey, and I cannot wait to see you over on my YouTube page, but I cannot wait for you to hear another episode on Friday. In fact, did you guys hear the last Friday episode with Francis Chan? If you missed it, I'm going to tell you, you're going to want to go back and listen to that right now. But this Friday, my friend Bree Stendrud sits down with me and it is a conversation that you're not going to want to miss. It goes great with the conversation we just had today. So this is going to be a good week for happy hour shows. Guys, have a happy hour with a friend. I will see you guys back here on Friday for another show.